This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Life and work are not two enemies battling for a limited attention. In fact, the opposite tends to be the case. When we have meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful work, it radiates through our lives. And when we have happy, secure, loving relationships, they too radiate through our lives. The balance we seek is not that of a seesaw, but of a symphony. Every element of a symphony has a role to play. Sometimes loud, sometimes quiet, sometimes silent, sometimes solo. The balance we seek is not for every instrument to be played in moderation at every moment. That's just a long, boring honk. But for a complementary relationship where each instrument is played at the right pitch and at the right intensity with the right phrasing and the right tempo. That quote came from Eric Greetens. Eric Greetens was born April 10th, 1974, in St. Louis, Missouri, and is still alive today. He is a Rhodes Scholar, uh, a, served in the U.S. Navy as a SEAL. He's a nonprofit organizer, former governor of Missouri, and a multi-book author. His books include Strength and Compassion, The Heart and the Fist, and the book from where today's quote originated, Resilience. And as I've mentioned before, military leaders are often highly quotable. Certainly, I'm probably biased, but I find leadership-related quotes to be quite interesting. And the premise of this book is interesting. This is a book on mental, emotional toughness, right? And the, in particular, the title of this book is an interesting choice. It's called Resilience. And why not call the book Toughness, or Hardness, or Strength, or Stiffness, something like that? And if this sounds like an engineering textbook waiting to happen, well, it kind of is. Each of those words means something a little bit different. And I'll let you explore more on your own if you choose to, but but two of those are often used as synonyms in everyday life, and those are resilience and toughness. How tough are you? He's a tough guy. Rarely do you hear someone say, oh, she's made of resilience stuff, right? So those words are often used interchangeably. Now, they're not the same. And follow me for just a moment here. We're going to go down a little bit of, of science-y engineering speak. But to determine what the difference is, to highlight the difference between resilience and toughness, we should look at what their, what their definitions are in, in the engineering world. And we all are familiar with the idea of, of deforming things or deformation, right? Making something change its shape. And in the engineering world, there are two types of deformation. There's elastic and there's plastic deformation. And they, one leads into the other, right? When you first deform something, when you take a piece of metal, say a paper clip, and you bend it, there's a certain amount of bend that you can introduce, a certain amount of deformation that you can introduce where the paper clip will spring back into its original shape, right? So that's elastic deformation, which makes sense if you think about a rubber band, something that we're all familiar with. That is a... Rubber is a very elastic material. It is something that can be stretched and will return to its original shape. And there are a variety of reasons for that. And every material is a little bit different. But something is considered to be elastic up to its elasticity limit. 
And that elasticity limit is, is at what's called the yield point. At that yield point, once you apply more stress to that material to take it beyond that yield point, you have now left the elastic deformation zone and moved into the plastic deformation zone. And the elastic deformation zone and the plastic deformation zone are different for every material under the sun. But once you move into the plastic deformation zone, now you are physically changing the shape of something permanently, meaning you've applied enough stress now that it will not return to its original shape. And you can see this if you've ever dis if you've ever unwound, so to speak, a paperclip, you have taken that metal into plastic deformation. It will not spring back to its original shape ever again. You have taken it to the point where its shape is forever changed. And if you do that enough, if you take, if you apply enough stress to something, you will take it to what's called the fracture point, and it will break. And you can see that with a rubber band. A rubber band can be stretched quite a bit, two, three, four, five times its original size, and it'll return to its its shape. Now, if you do that enough, ask any anybody who ever has worn a hair tie. If you stretch something enough and you constantly take it to that at or near that yield point, eventually the elasticity kind of wears off. That's fatigue, and that's a whole other conversation. But if you take something into that plastic deformation zone, it's not going back to its original shape, and if you continue to apply stress, it will fail. It will fracture. It will break. And so that's... Now that we understand that, I hope I didn't lose too many of you with the science speak there, but that's an important concept to understand as we look at the difference between resilience and toughness. So resilience is the ability of a material to absorb energy when it is elastically deformed. So think of something like a hockey stick. If you've ever seen a hockey stick in a slow motion slap shot video, you'll see that stick deform. You'll see it flex and it flexes a lot. It absorbs a lot of energy in that flexing. And then that energy is, is imparted into the puck in this case, in a hockey game, to send that puck at a high velocity. Baseball bats actually deform elastically somewhat as well. If you ever watch a slow motion um, home run, you will see that when the ball contacts the bat, that both the ball and the bat at that moment of impact deform, and they deform elastically because that ball returns to its original shape. That bat returns to its original shape. Now, the deformation in the bat is minimal. It's very hard to see, but it does happen. The deformation in the ball is a little bit greater. You can actually see that. You can see that more manifest in a tennis ball. If you ever watch a tennis ball hit a tennis racket, you'll see that ball deform, and it'll flatten out slightly on the face that's in contact with the surface imparting the force. But resilience is the ability of that material, whether it be a tennis ball, a baseball, a hockey stick, to absorb energy. So we would say that a hockey stick, for example, is extremely resilient. It can absorb a lot of energy in that elastic deformation zone, and then rebound back to its original shape. So if we apply that to life, resiliency in life is the ability to absorb emotionally what we might call hardship or trauma, right? The more hardship and trauma you can absorb and be flexed and bent and then return to your original shape, the more resilient we would say that you are. And toughness, on the other hand, is the ability to absorb energy not just in the elastic zone, but also in the plastic zone before it fails. So there will toughness is a broader umbrella. Toughness, the toughness of a material is 
almost always much greater than its resilience. But you can, while still staying within the toughness of a material, impart enough energy to change that material for good. Because you can enter that plastic zone. You may not force it to fail, but you have changed it for good. So resilience is a part of toughness. And I would argue it's the most important part. Because especially when we're talking about a human being, not a paperclip, we're talking about the hardships of life, the challenges that are before us all the time. And I would argue that it is more important to be resilient than it is to be tough. It's certainly important to be tough. You don't want to ever break, right? You don't want to ever get to the fracture point as a human being. And the more of that zone that you can cover with the resilience of a human being, the more likely you are to be able to return to the better version of yourself. You all are aware, if you've listened to previous episodes, that not too long ago I experienced a loss in my life. My grandmother died. That was an emotional trauma. Small, large, doesn't matter. It was an emotional trauma. And I had to exercise my own resilience to bounce back from that, to elastically return to, hopefully, a slightly different but not changed version of myself. Um, so resilience in the engineering sense, resilience and toughness in the engineering sense aren't direct analogs to life, but that's why I think this title is an appropriate one for this book. The book is Eric writing to a, f a friend of his, named Zach, who is going through hardship in his life. And if we use the rubber band analogy, rubber bands are most useful when we elastically deform them. We put them around something, you bundle up some pencils or some pens or, you know, some loose things with that rubber band in it. It returns to its original shape and squeezes those things and holds them exactly where you want them. It's great for that. Ideally, you didn't take it into plastic deformation. You, you stayed in its resilient zone and you can reuse it right? Human beings are most valuable when we experience hardship and trauma and then are able to return to a functional version of ourselves. We may not be our best, the best versions of ourselves. We may be bent out of shape, so to speak, for a period of time. But ideally, after the trauma has subsided, after the hardship has gone away, we are able to return to a functioning version of ourselves. So this entire book is Eric writing to Zach about hardships in his life and helping him learn to develop resiliency. Now, that's the difference between human beings and paperclips, or human beings and rubber bands. You can't teach a rubber band to be more resilient. It has a certain amount of inherent resilience, and that's what it's got. Human beings, on the other hand, can absolutely be trained to be more resilient. And we can do it deliberately, or we can do it through hardship and trials. And so that's where the analogy breaks down. But Eric is talking to Zach. Zach is going through a variety of things. And he's being stretched. And he's been pushed and pulled, and Eric is providing sage advice. And the book is written as a series of letters, and actually real letters that Eric sent to Zach that are then packaged into book form about various topics in life. So the analog here and the purpose of the whole book is to deform due to stress, to be bent, but to return to the functioning versions of ourselves, to expand that elastic region of ourselves emotionally and mentally, to be able to absorb that, be able to flex, and then to release that energy again, to push that energy out away from us. And that can be manifest in a variety of ways. You talk about when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, and, and a variety of phrases like that. It's the same thing. The, the analog there is lemons are bitter and sour and not, not so desirable but you can make them into something better. 
Well, that's ultimately what being a resilient person is. You have been given a hardship, a trauma, or a challenge, and you absorb that energy, flex, and then hopefully on the other side, even if it's just now that you've experienced that hardship and trauma, you can be there for somebody who experiences a similar hardship or trauma in their life. That's the energy that you give back. So thus concludes the material science lecture. But again, the book is built around letters written by Eric to a fellow former Navy SEAL named Zach. And the letters are about things like life and kids and work and family, etc. An important thing to recognize here, and this is a theme throughout the book, is that resilience is not offloading arbitrarily, right? It's a balancing act. It's a harmonizing. We're not trying to avoid hardship and trauma. Eric, in the book, doesn't talk about that. He doesn't advise Zach to avoid hardship and trauma at all, because hardship and trauma is how we are able to adapt. As you experience hardships and traumas in life, you're able to bounce back. When you get into your first fender bender, when you drive as a young adult or whenever that happens to happen, it seems like the end of the world, right? It's traumatic. It's scary. After you've gotten two or three fender benders, you probably have recognized that eh, it's not the end of the world, right? The world as I know it is not going to come to an end. The first time you fall short at work and miss a deadline or perturb your boss or whatever happens, it can feel traumatic and significant at the time, probably because you're not a whole lot, you don't have a whole lot of resiliency in that space yet. But not that I think you should make it a habit, but you come to realize through that experience that that's not the end of the world. You have developed resiliency. So the next time you fall short and meet, fail to meet a deadline or perturb your boss a second time, you realize it's not necessarily the end of the world. I've been through this before. I have a certain amount of resiliency. I can bounce back from this. And that's what Eric is encouraging Zach to do throughout this book, is you can't avoid the hardships in life. It's part of the human condition. If you spend 20, 30, 50, 60, 90 years on this planet, you will experience hardship and trauma. It will happen. How you respond to it is what Eric is trying to coach Zach to do, to turn it into a productive output of energy. Because while you may flex and you may bend, right, if your response to the hardships and trauma in life is destructive behavior, like drinking, driving fast, spending a bunch of money, lashing out at people, those would be counterproductive. And a lot of times that's what that's what people turn to when they're pushed towards that yield point, towards that that limit, right? So what Eric is trying to do is say, Zach, life's going to be hard. There are going to be challenges. Your kids are going to be difficult. Your spouse is going to anger you. Your coworkers are going to make you upset. That's just part of life. What you do with that, what you choose to do after you've absorbed that energy is what defines the your resilience. So let me read the quote one more time, or let me have Eric read you the quote one more time, and then we'll talk about it for just a quick minute. So here's the quote one more time. Life and work are not two enemies battling for a limited attention. In fact, the opposite tends to be the case. When we have meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful work, it radiates through our lives. And when we have happy, secure, loving relationships, they too radiate through our lives. The balance we seek is not that of a seesaw, but of a symphony. Every element of a symphony has a role to play, sometimes loud, sometimes quiet, sometimes silent, sometimes solo. The balance we seek is not for every instrument to be played in moderation at every moment. That's just a long, boring honk. 
but for a complementary relationship where each instrument is played at the right pitch and at the right intensity with the right phrasing and the right tempo. And why this stood out to me in a book that is full of quotes, you can go look up lists of quotes from this book because it is chock full of them, right? I mean, these are the distilled letters from one caring person to another person in need, and they're they're very human. They're very, very human. There's a recognition of humanity in Zach, and we can all feel ourselves being Zach from time to time. As you read through this book, you'll realize that there are we've all been Zach. And one of those letters is going to speak to you directly, if not more. And what's interesting here is we're talking about two of the most common things, things we all deal with, life and work. Unless you are um, unless you are fortunate enough to not have to do so, all of us have to work. And anybody that's listening to this is alive. And those things come with their own challenges. And a lot of times, what Eric is saying here is that life and work are seen to be at odds with one another, right? There's your life, then there's your job. You do your job because you must. It's an enabler for the things you want to do in life, but the two are at odds with one another. And what he's trying to tell Zach, and I presume this letter was written, he doesn't give a lot of context about the different letters and why they're written, but you can kind of tease some of that out as you listen to the chapters. What he's telling Zach here is they don't have to be that way right? They don't have to be at odds with one another. In fact, you need work. Most of us need work and need to feel fulfilled. I know, for example, myself, when I've been between jobs in the past, there's that period of downtime is fun for a little while for me, but then eventually I start to get bored and I start to act out in weird ways. It's just not, I need work. I need that, that drive, that goal, that routine to feel functional to feel like I can be the best in my life. And that's what Eric is telling Zach here is, yeah, work's going to suck sometimes, but you need it and you need it to be in balance. And life and work in this quote can be substituted for things like your spouse and your children. If you're a parent, you may feel at times that you are forced to choose between being happy with your spouse and keeping your children happy or being happy with your children. And sometimes those are at odds with one another. It can be substituted for family and friends where your family requires a lot of attention, and this could be your immediate family, your spouse and children, or it could be your extended family that's particularly needy or difficult and requires a lot of your time. But your friends are fun, and they're they're fun to go out with and, and do things with. But what he's saying is that one is enhanced by the other, and that they need to be in balance. And I particularly enjoy his analogy to a an orchestra, right, where he talks about you don't want all of these things running at full volume all the time. The analogy that I like to use is that life is full of sliders right there. If you remember the old stereos that had those little vertical sliders that all sat next to one another and one was bass, one was treble, one was fade, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If you, rent, if you crank all of those all the way to the top, it doesn't make a good sound, right? If your family and friends are playing equal loud roles in your life, it's not necessarily a good thing. If your spouse and children are equally loud in your life, you just get this long, boring, you don't, you get this big honk, right? It's not something that is enjoyable. The key is to find the balance, right? The balance between life and work, between spouse and kids, between family and friends. And they complement one, one another. It's a complementary relationship. And each one at the right intensity in the right duration makes for beautiful music, makes for a beautiful life. And so if you feel that one of those things, maybe it's life and work, maybe it's spouse and kids, maybe it's family and friends, whatever your balance is, if you feel like it's out of whack and you feel like you're getting that boring honk or 
that mute silence from one of those parts of your life, you need to tweak the orchestra. You are the conductor of that orchestra. You can influence the volumes. You can move those sliders up and down and create a better sound, create a better life. And that is resilience. When one of those things gets out of whack and forces you to absorb more energy than you feel like you're able, forces you towards that yield point to the point where you feel like you're going to plastically deform. It could be a family issue. It could be a child issue. It could be something at work that's pushing you that way. What are you going to do? What do you do about it? How do you get the orchestra back in harmony? How do you create that symphony of sound that is not only enjoyable, but livable? So the question today as I leave this episode that I take from this is, what am I doing to prepare for trauma and bounce back? What am I doing to expand my resiliency? What challenges do I put before myself deliberately to grow that resiliency? Because that is one of the best ways to become a better version of ourselves which is always a goal for me, and I hope it is for you too. So what are you doing to prepare for trauma and bounce back? Ask yourself that today and see if you can't be a little bit better tomorrow than you are today, a little more resilient. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod. Or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks, as always, for listening.